Hi, I'm Victor Milligan. And I'm Jennifer Isabella. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. On the phone with us today is Rick Parrish, Principal Analyst at Forrester, to discuss the state of CX and why CX seemingly has hit a plateau. Welcome, Rick. Thanks. Good to be here. So, Rick, to that intro, what we see in our CX Index results for 2017 is that we see sort of stagnation almost across the board in industries that were leaders and performers that were leaders, and even those that were even in in the bottom that you'd expect to have some opportunity to make significant gains. So in your mind, Rick, what's happening out there? As you say, broadly, we see see stagnation. We're not seeing the sort of sustained gains that, uh, if you believe all the hype, we, we should be seeing. All companies that have had high scores for a while now uh, are either stagnant or are slowly falling back. Their experience is decaying a little bit. So we see stagnation at the top. We see a stagnation in the middle of the pack where brands are maybe moving up a little bit here, a little down there on a year-over-year basis, but no real sustained directionally upward movement. It's a wash, basically. It's interesting dynamic at industry level We've had a several podcasts about the banking business model and some of the threats associated with it. And part of the logic was that the t- traditional banks are struggling with either reforming or forming a relationship with the customers. And some of the digital banks, you know, had an opportunity to sort of seize the day. And interesting in our numbers is that the traditional banks, to your point, have fallen back. They've Their numbers have down negative uh, 1.4% year over year. But so has the direct banks. I mean, less so. But you'd think that they would have moved forward in this climate where there's a greater appetite and appreciation for digital experiences. Absolutely. Uh, but uh, as you said, we just, we just haven't seen that. We haven't seen it in, in banking. We haven't seen it with, with online retail. These are companies that, again, if you, if you believe the hype, should be reaping great CX success. But uh, unfortunately, they're making many of the same mistakes that all the other traditional brands are making. And what about, I mean, certainly those industries we just talked about, retail and banking are stagnant, but shockingly, or maybe not, there are other industries that are have slipped greatly, auto and home insurance being one of those, ISP. So what's going on there? Right. You know, one of the, one of the big dynamics that's going on in, in these industries and, and in, in hitting other industries as well, but maybe not quite so hard, is the fact that customer expectations are continuing to rise, right? And uh, working on CX, it's like paddling upstream. If you're not rowing, you're moving backwards, right? And, and that's what's going on here in a, in a lot of these cases. You know, customer expectations continue to grow, and some industries and some companies might be doing some good solid CX work, but if they're not keeping up with the rate at which customer expectations are growing, they're going backwards. And there's two ways that, you know, one can think about that. The first one is that they don't sense that customers' expectations are evolving at that kind of clip. The second one would be is that what's really required to get to the next stage of experience is more far-reaching than some of the sort of break-fix kind of things that they've been doing, and they're hitting more of an operational wall versus a a lack of perception. Which one is playing out, or is it both? It's absolutely both. Sure, customer expectations are continuing to rise. But as you say, so many companies are sort of stuck in this finding basic problems and then and then fixing them and finding another basic problem and fixing that uh, rather than really turning CX into a strategic business imperative and addressing it at that level in a sustained systematic way. And so you just get stuck in this cycle of fixing the biggest individual problems, but you never level up your whole CX game. 
And that's absolutely the second thing that's going on. As a moment of empathy, you could imagine that you stand up a CX program uh, in some companies that is highly politically charged and politically enabled and some is not. And you begin a portfolio of work and you chase down sort of the low-hanging fruit because it's easy wins to put on the board. It builds political capital. And you sort of avoid the big turf battles of going to the P&L owner or the business owner and say, hey, I'm here to help and I'm really here to change the nature of your business. I mean, those are hard conversations. So is it some cases that they're sort of playing it safe and working on the things that are cleaner and can put points on the board and simply those points are less and less available? Absolutely. As you say, they're just, they're picking their battles, right? And the battles that they've been picking are the same ones they've been picking for a few years and they're getting fewer and fewer advantages, right? The other thing that's going on here too is that we talked to so many companies and a lot of them, they just don't realize the enterprise-wide sustained effort that it takes to improve CX. They really just don't get it. You know, this is, this is what we call customer experience management, right? Those organization-wide activities that have to occur in an, a systematic way uh, in order to be able to reliably provide good customer experiences and continue to improve. So there's an interesting difference between, you know, what is a CX initiative and what is really the essence of the company or really an experiential operating model. And I do recognize that a lot of these are CX initiatives, which means they are formed upon a business case. They are perceived to operate for a specific period of time, deliver certain monies against different gates. Uh, But it doesn't necessarily say that it's going to be the essence of their company, the operating model. And is that sort of the cut where I don't think people realize when they started the CX thing, what ball was really being rolled down the hill and what does the destination really look like? Absolutely, yeah. They just they don't understand the scope of the problem uh, or the scope of the solution uh, that's necessary to solve that problem. The ball may be rolling down the hill, but it, it's not necessarily snowballing as we're. It's not getting bigger and bigger. As you say, they're not picking those battles. They're keeping the effort uh, on a project-by-project basis, and they're missing the fact that it's going to require that snowballing effort, that big growing effort, in order to continue to meet and exceed growing customer demand. So, Rick, part of the mechanic here is the journey map, and the journey map sort of describes the customer's journeys and, in some cases, the expectations for touch points across those journeys. And in some ways, that's a forensic tool that tells them to go in there and understand sort of at root cause what are the drivers to, to meet customer expectations. How well is the journey map being used as a forensic tool? Very few companies really get anything like the real value that they should be getting uh, out of their their journey maps. Uh, And, of course, uh, out of the analytics and the measurement and the the customer research that goes in, you know, um, into uh, journey mapping as as a research output. You know, and so what ends up happening is even companies that do have pretty solid organization-wide CX management efforts, unfortunately, a lot of times what they do is they end up not addressing the most important drivers of the customer experience because you know the, the research inputs to those journey maps are, are inadequate, uh, which means that the journey maps themselves end up inadequate. And so this we see this with companies a lot in which they're doing a lot of stuff. There's a lot of action, but the problem is they're mistaking action for progress, right? They're doing all kinds of things, but the things that they're doing aren't actually addressing the most important drivers. So the CX index 
measures how successfully a company delivers customer experiences that create and sustain loyalty. And, and we take a look at, from a CX quality perspective, effectiveness, ease, and emotion. And, and knowing that emotion is a huge driver um, of that CX quality. So one would think that you know, companies would be doubling down on that particular driver. But is that happening today? Yeah, I mean, just to jump in, it's an interesting point because we had predicted that in 2017, we'd sort of move beyond the science of emotion and understand that, that that's the backdrop to brand. That is how people make decisions, and it would be baked into the experiential kind of uh, game plan. So, I mean, that is a, a critical question, too. Is, is this what stalled it out? Yes. Uh, and it's a real shame because everywhere we look, we see that emotion is uh, the most important of the three E's. Uh, sure, you can make a customer experience that's easy and a customer experience that's effective, but unless it also has the right emotional quotient, people aren't going to say it's great. And despite the fact that there is this science of emotion and people understand the power of emotion uh, in the business world and just as human beings who live a life understand the power of emotion, uh, so many companies struggle uh, to address that in, in their CX efforts. Uh, and it's a real shame because that's, that's where the action is. It's, the action is in emotion. That's what's really going to affect the customer experience. Ease and effectiveness, uh, sure, you got to have them, but uh, things aren't going to get good until you focus on emotion. Yeah, and I kind of think of ease and effectiveness as I can apply better and better controls of my business to run it better. It's almost a sort of uh, hangover from the days in which uh, people focused on traditional business process management, you know, right. those traditional process efficiencies. Right. And, of course, we all know that those don't cut it anymore, but, well, you know, old habits die hard. Right. It's the skills they have and it's the things that they control. And I've always felt that emotion was the signifier of changing the fundamental sort of focus of the company from their own operations to the human being that they're attempting to appeal to or serve. And that was a big transformative part of the play. You know, the, you know, an act, act two, they took on the human being kind of thing. Yeah, real customer obsession, you know. And, of course, you know, I, in fact, just sort of minimized the problem here by saying old habits die hard. But, but the fact is, we know so much about the importance of emotion these days that at this point, it's almost a willful ignorance right, to not focus on that. Uh, and the pressure is just building and building, and it's becoming more and more egregious of a problem. How much of it is... The, the problem of a toolkit, and, and let me expand on that, which is, you know, one of the core principles of artificial intelligence is I can provide true personalized uh, experiences at scale, but without it, I will really struggle to do that. I can provide personalized experiences, but not at scale, or I can operate at scale, but not really provide personalized experiences. And I, you know, doing both is really hard. How much is that the toolkit is incomplete and we're sort of, we're exhausting the existing tools? Totally, totally. You know, the existing tools, as you say, you know, they have trouble scaling up to some of these big levels. And, and some of the emerging technologies are getting closer to being on the cusp of being able to do both of these things. Uh, but many of them, they're not there yet. They still need to bake for a little while. Um, the, of course, part of the problem is that uh, when these, these technologies are ready, they do become better at providing personalized, emotionally resonant experiences at scale companies are going to need to deploy them properly to do that, right? And if companies continue to focus uh, on uh, the efficiency angle of the customer experience rather than the emotional end of the customer experience, they can have all the fanciest tools in the world. They're still not going to deploy them properly. 
Yeah, we have a concept of the customer-obsessed operating model, and I want to go pick on your word, use, use the word deployed, which is, you know, as I change the nature of my company to focus on the human being, their emotional state, and be able to operate at scale, I have to bake that into my operation. That has to be both instinctual and scalable, and to your point, efficient. What we've learned in some of the AI uh, experiments have gone on in 16 and 17 is what they were, they were fairly limited in scope and mostly proved out the technology or began the work of understanding the role of algorithms. But they didn't go as so far as to say, how does that really affect my operations? Meaning they may prove out the technology, but not make that critical next step that says, now I run the company this way, meaning I'm able to use technology and wrap technology around my ability to serve the individual human being at scale. So that they, I still feel like we're hitting that same point of we sort of have this spot capability that just can't become immersive or expansive across the enterprise. Uh, we, we are absolutely struggling with that same problem. Uh, you can't take the same old business and just layer a, a thin patina of customer-centric technology over the top of it and have a customer-obsessed company that provides transformative breakaway customer experiences. Right? Uh, it's just not going to work. Yes, technology is a key tool for doing this, but you're also going to need to transform the way you do business behind those tools. Otherwise, again, you're just going to keep doing the same old thing. It's going to be new technology on the front end, but it's going to be the same failing business. But Rick, aren't people just pissed? Like, aren't customers just annoyed or aggravated or mad at the current state of experiences today? <laughs> yeah, they are. More and more people are, are pissed off. It, things should be better now. It's 2017. Yes, we don't have flying cars, but at least we should have better customer experiences. Right? Uh, but part of the problem here is that companies tend to focus on the loudest voices in the room, you know, the squeakiest wheels. And so the angriest customers are the ones who get their problems addressed. And what that does is that locks companies again into this find and fix. You know, find the, the loudest yeller, fix his or her problem, and find the next one, fix his or her problem. And what that does is that stops them from leveling things up again to this level of, of systematic, efficient customer experience management uh, in which they're able to address this systemically across their enterprise. And, you know, the best way to do that is, is not by focusing on, you know, the, the loudest, angriest yellers, uh, but oftentimes by focusing on the people who just have sustained, underwhelming experiences time and time and time again before they get angry. The problem is companies don't bother to try to identify those people. Those aren't the people who angrily fill out surveys. Those aren't the people who angrily call contact centers. Uh, but by that point, it's too late. You know, mm. um, The great mass of, of customers is getting angry, uh, but they, they, um, uh, they don't necessarily make the loudest noise in the room. Yeah, and I think it also goes to understanding the nuance of emotion, right, and those negative emotions. So it's not just... Are you happy? Are you angry? But what are the things in between that you as an organization should be identifying as negative or, on the flip side, positive emotions that you can exploit? Yeah, yeah. And in the TX Index, as you know, you know, we, we, look at, we look at, oh, geez, dozens of different emotions, not just, you know, happy or sad. And what we find is that it's not necessarily those um, – those most extreme emotions, you know, the, the, the rage and the joy uh, that, that affect customer loyalty the most. 
it's things like, uh, I'm just disappointed. I'm just, I'm just underwhelmed. Mm-hmm. I'm just frustrated time and again, rather than this, you know, single moment of rage. And on the other hand, positive experience is not some sort of rapture uh, or delight. It's the more subtle emotions that are sustained over time that have the biggest impact on loyalty. But again, you know, companies aren't focused on those. They're focused on, on things like happy and angry. And that's the, the two black and white. Someone who's angry is relatively easy to perceive. They've called you, they're yelling at you. Right. right? We've all been there. Um, but the person who's disappointed may simply disengage quietly and, to your point, quietly wander away. And there's no way to sense that. There's nothing that just happened other than they stopped doing something. So unless you can sense that human being was engaged and is now sort of falling off the radar, unless you have some way to catch that as it's going on and re-engage in some capacity, they will wander away. And I think we're starting to see that in some of the churn information we're getting. And it goes back maybe to Jen, your question, which is, sure, the customers are pissed, but at some point in time, the CFO is going to get pissed. Because they're starting to see some risk show up in their business because they can't catch up to this evolving customer expectation. Yeah. And, of course, that's why measurement and customer research are two of the six competencies of CX management, right? You know, these are these two of these big enterprise-level uh, competencies that you've got to master in order to be able to sense those people. But just the ones you were talking about who just sort of quietly wander away and who bring their friends with them. Uh, as they go somewhere else. Uh, most companies can't sense those people. You've got to be able to sense those people so you can identify the real systemic problems rather than just chasing those loud voices. So I'm a CEO. I stood this up uh, upon a promise several years ago. I might or might not have been committed to it. I probably didn't fully understand what it meant. I put some money to it and expected a return. And I wake up in 2017 and I see the results plateauing and I see some things in my P&L that are disquieting. And I have hard choices to make. One choice says I shouldn't have invested in the first place. It's proving itself out not to be the right initiative. That's one approach. The other approach is, man, I got to think of this very differently. How do you see that conversation taking place right now? Because there's going to be a call on some of these CX programs out there. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And most of them are going to continue to stagnate for the reasons we've talked about. They're just going to go with inertia, keep doing what they're doing. And of course, that means that the quality of their experience is going to continue to degrade at the rate at which customer expectations continue to rise. And at some point in time, there's a floor to that. I mean, yeah, there has to be a floor to that by saying, whatever, yeah. we just can't do it this way any longer. And, and so part of this conversation says, we actually haven't hit the floor. We're going to hit the floor, but we haven't hit it yet. That's right. Oh, yeah. No, things can get a lot worse. But wise companies and, and wise CEOs are going to look at these trends and they're going to they're going to realize the same things that we've realized uh, in all our data, which which is that you know the way we got as good as we got a few years ago uh, was just by picking the low hanging fruit. That fruit is gone. It's it's time to level up. It's time to get systematic. It's time to get enterprise wide. Break out of that project by project, point by point thinking, and lever up CX into the real enterprise wide business discipline that it has to be in order to keep improving reliably as expectations improve. I mean, that's the answer. Rick, one of the problems I've always had with the concept of CX evangelism is that the enterprise needs to be evangelized too. That CX is a a concept that's been the marketplace for a long time now. You'd be hard, if whether you're a CX professional or not, it would be hard to miss that sort of trend that happened in the marketplace. It, it just, it tells me that that there's a significant lack of 
buy-in and that the CX teams are still sort of in the evangelizing mode, which is so dangerous because the benefit is derived by the person sitting on the PL first and foremost. And you'd think that not only would they not need to be evangelized, but they would be putting pressure on the CX team to drive harder, harder, harder. So why are we still kind of backwards on this one? Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, incentives are a big part of the problem. You know, as, as you say, you know, the, the main advantage will would accrue to the person sitting on the P&L. That makes good sense. And, you know, un, un, unfortunately, there are a lot of other incentives that people at different levels of management uh, are faced with uh, that militate against transition to focusing on the customer experience. Of course, it's harder in publicly traded companies, you know, where they, they have to, to focus on short-term results. It's difficult for them to... Uh, to go against that incentive and and refocus on things that are going to take a little while to come to fruition, right? There's uh, there's any number of ways that managers and 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 rank and file employees too are incentivized in terms of their performance metrics that incentivize them to just keep doing the thing they've always been doing. Uh, and so you know, one of the one of the the things that's going to have to happen here is to change that incentive structure to really make it a, a practical daily possibility. You know, when you get to work. You have an incentive structure that allows you to do the things that you're going to have to do to achieve long-term business success. Because, you know, these CX uh, transformations, they don't happen overnight, and they don't reach benefits overnight. You have to be able to look out to the medium term uh, to start to see these benefits that are going to accrue to it. And because of the incentive structure, all up and down levels of business, so many people are incentivized to look only at the short term. Yeah, sort of an input-output thing in the measurement environment. There has to be some logical connection between the input, in this case, the experiences I deliver to my customers, and the output, which is manifested in the P&L. And I I just don't know if that input-output engine is fully in place. The output is, but not the input part. It's absolutely not. In fact, uh, let me tell you just a little story about something I heard from a frustrated client uh, just a few days ago, just late last week. This client told me that she was trying to get her senior leadership to change uh, the way they measure the customer experience. Because what they have is they have a sort of basic customer satisfaction metric, a sort of beacon metric is that kind of high-level metric that the company focuses on at the top level. And it's a basic customer satisfaction metric. And it's always super high. It's always, you know, 9 out of 10, 9.5 out of 10. And so they're not getting any good granular data about how they can improve the customer experience from that. And they know they're bleeding customers. They know they're bleeding customers. They can see it right there. The problem is the senior executives are compensated based on that traditional customer satisfaction score. So we've talked about this notion of you know, doing CX project by CX project and organizations struggling to change to having CX core to their fiber of their organization or being customer obsessed. So my question to you, Rick, is, is there a company that has made that transition or are you seeing that to be something that will happen in 2018 or 2019 and beyond? Hardly any companies have made this this transition in a real foundational way. Yeah. Uh, that's, of course, of, of the legacy businesses. Uh, there's you know, just one or two out there, you know, a handful. As you said earlier, that even the elites, the ones that scored best, are also seeing that same plateauing pattern, so to your point. Yeah. Exactly. That's exactly it, right? You know, and you talk to these companies, and they're very honest about that. They fully recognize 
that they got where they are by picking that low-hanging fruit on a project-by-project basis. And some of them really are making efforts at transitioning into into becoming really customer-obsessed. But they will tell you themselves, they're not there yet. They're still working on it. And another thing to remember about this, too, is we're not just talking about legacy businesses here. You know, we're talking about, you know, relatively new tech companies. You know, some of these companies, we still call them startups, even though they've been around for 15 years, but, but fine. When they started out small, and as they've scaled up and become some of the most valuable businesses in the world, they haven't scaled up that customer obsession. And so some companies, uh, as they become more successful, have actually lost customer obsession. Like this, this, this has been a net loss in something they started with that they're losing, and we're seeing that too in their, in their business outcomes. Yeah, you almost get enamored with the engine you built. I mean, it is producing, so you become enamored by it, and you, you, you lose the, the natural desire to sort of challenge yourself to say, do I need to change the engine against the climate that I'm operating in right now? Exactly. It's not true that, that, that companies are necessarily swimming uphill. I mean, they're doing extraordinary, impossible things. There are enough small examples to say that you can kind of break through and have customer experience become the natural part of your operation, the sort of the being of your company and turn your company around to serve the human being at scale. So as you look at the CX world in your mind, Rick, what does it mean to the CEO who's looking at the CX investment and kind of scratching their respective heads? Yeah, it means that now's the time to actually get serious. Uh, You've picked the low-hanging fruit. That's all gone. Customers want more. It's time to get enterprise level, it's time to get systematic, it's time to move to real customer experience management. That's the solution. That's the superstructure that's going to allow you to continue to reliably improve your customer experiences over time across all your business lines, uh, no matter what customers end up wanting in 2019 and 2020 and beyond. Thanks so much for time, Rick. Thanks for joining us. Good talking to you again. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or TuneIn. And don't forget to leave us a review. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.